Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Zoe. You're amazing. You're awesome. Got something hanging out your ears there. Is it wax? No, it's, it's earbuds. That's what it is. Fantastic. It's great to be with you. As um, Christian mentioned, I've been married for 25 years. But what he didn't tell you is that we've been dating for eight years before that. We've been together forever. And we met at roller skating, which is something that doesn't really exist anymore. And for all you young ones, you don't even know what that is. But what you need to think of is the coolest thing to do right now. Whatever that is, roller skating was cooler. That's all I'll say about roller skating. It was the place to be. And that's where I skated up to Kath, let her know I liked her in no uncertain terms. How did I do that? I just tripped her over. It's what we did when we were young, back in the day, and... uh, I asked her to go out with me, and she said yes, and the rest is history. And we have three incredible kids. Our oldest one, Jordan, is here. She's 19 in a few days' time, which is just awesome. Then we have our middle one, Mitchell. He's 17. Uh, His name, Mitchell, means like God. He's my one and only son, which makes him like Jesus. And he's here, there, and everywhere, so he's like the Holy Spirit. He's just... He's an amazing kid. And then we have our youngest, Bailey, who is 10, going on 37. And she's just really, really cute, and we love her dearly. And uh, those two are looking after things back in our hotel there, just keeping the hotel attendants on their toes, I'm sure, bombing and diving where they shouldn't be bombing and diving in the pool, or whatever the case may be. Well, it is great to be with you, and I do want to quickly share a thought around your vision builder theme, because I believe it encompasses the future of this particular church. Uh, The time that I've known Pastor Christian, every time we chat, which has been occasionally over the years, there's two things that really stand out to me, and that is that he has a deep contentment for what he has. He's grateful for what he has. He loves this church. He loves you. He talks about this church with a fondness in his heart, and I want you, church, to understand that, and I want you to know it. There is an absolute deep contentment for what he has. The other thing that highlights, uh, stands out to me, is that he has a deep desire for more. So he has a deep contentment, but he's not complacent in that contentment. He actually has a deep desire for more. And I thought, based upon that desire in his heart, it'd be great if we talk about what I've entitled today, more than before. Title of my message today, more, everyone say more, More. than before. Before, more than before. You see, this is an amazing church. It really is. But it's not time to settle down. It's not time to get complacent. I believe that your best days are ahead. And I believe there is more in store for this church. One more time, everyone say more. More. Fantastic. If you would, turn with me to the book of Luke. If you have an iPhone or an iPad or an iComputer, or if you have an old school Bible, you can turn with me. If you have an Android, I have nothing for you. Are you with me? Luke chapter 4. I want to read two verses, and they're two verses that often aren't preached on, but hopefully we can draw something from the Word today, and that we can all go away blessed and encouraged. Luke chapter 4, verse 38 and 39 says, Jesus left the synagogue, and he went to the home of Simon. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. Now, Simon, in the Scriptures, is also known as Peter. 
Simon's name was changed to Peter. So Simon and Peter are the same person. I will be referring to him as Peter into the story. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. And so he bent over her, he rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and she began to wait on them. I love this little thought that's tucked away amongst all the amazing scriptures that are there. It's just, it's just tucked away. And I love it because it highlights a dear woman that was precious to Jesus. And we don't even know her name. We just know her as Peter's mother-in-law. And mother-in-laws these days don't get a good rap. Have you noticed that? <laughs> but this woman is just tucked away in the scriptures. And there's something for us to learn from her life, I believe. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there. Every word in the scripture is God-breathed and God-inspired and is useful for our teaching and our growth and our encouragement. And what I see about this woman is that she was bedridden because of an illness, and I think that makes her relatable to each and every one of us. Every one of us has been bedridden, every one of us has been knocked off our feet, every one of us has endured certain things from time to time. But we see that through the love of Jesus, she gets healed, she gets back up on her feet, and she goes on to do more than she did before. And I'm here to tell you today that there is more in store for each and every one of us. There is more than before. And like Peter's mother-in-law, there's more in store for us. But it's going to take certain requirements from us. It's one thing to get excited about the prophetic promises. It's one thing to get excited as we sit here in this moment. But there are certain things that God requires from us. Just as we require certain things from God, God requires certain things from us. And I want to look at three of them today that more than before requires. You want to know what they are? Number one, more than before, requires endurance. Everyone say endurance. endurance. You see, Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed. She was flat on her back, but she got up again. See, every one of us gets knocked down from time to time. You may have a bad experience. You may have come today broken. You may have come today hurting. Something may have happened at school, university, in the workplace. Hey, maybe you were just in the shopping mall minding your own business and you came across someone with, uh, with shopping rage. I don't know what's happened to you this week, but we all experience stuff that knocks the wind out of our sails. It could be a broken relationship. It could be a marriage that's broken down. It could be a failed business venture. We've all experienced those moments in our life that knocks the wind out of our sails and it hurts us deeply. The good news is, and I believe that's why I'm here today to tell you this, is you can get back up again. No matter what has happened to you, no matter what you have endured, no matter what you've been through, you can get back up again. In Philippians chapter 3, this is Paul speaking, and he's speaking from a prison cell, so there's a context here. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take a hold for which Christ took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul did some great things for God. 
but he had lots of things happen to him. And here he is in prison and finding himself in a place where he would rather not be. But he says this, one thing I do, I forget what is behind and I press on. I recognize that there is a job to be done. It has been said that you do not determine your greatness by your talent or wealth as the world does, but rather by what it takes to discourage you and to make you quit. You're only as great as what it takes to make you quit. All of us face stuff. Pastor Christian stole a little bit of my thunder as he shared about my 2016. 2016 for us was a crazy year to say the least. And I know I'm in good company because I think 2016 was a crazy year for a lot of people. But at the, end, at the beginning of 2016, I did what many well-meaning Christians do. On January 1, I prophesied and declared this was going to be my best year ever. This was going to be our biggest year ever. This is going to be our greatest growth year ever. Got really excited, spoke in tongues and sealed the deal. It was amazing, January 1. And then our young people went to youth camp. And on January 22nd, things changed for us. Because when our young people were on a youth camp, in the will of God, doing what God would want them to be doing, being young people, enjoying the presence of God and the company of young people, this thundercloud rolled in. And in Adelaide, we don't get thunderclouds too often. It's not a place that's known for its thunder and lightning. It's not like here in Queensland. And the young people are out on the oval. Thundercloud rolls in. There's some peals of thunder. There's some lightning strikes. And no sooner had the storm come than it had gone. But in the meantime, two of our young people had been struck by lightning. One of them was our 20-year-old niece. And by God's grace, she's alive and lives to tell the story and got married only two weeks ago. Amazing story of God's goodness, kindness, and provision. I thank God for that. But the other was our 39-year-old youth pastor who got struck by lightning on the top of the head and died instantly. And we as a church and me as a senior pastor had to navigate that season. I had to grieve the loss of a friend, had to grieve the loss of a staff member, and lead the church through that moment with very little answers. Because how could this happen? I mean, Job in the Old Testament was running away from God and God rescued him. And here's Chris in the New Covenant serving God, in the will of God, on a youth camp, and he dies. How do you equate that? See, if you don't have a, a theology that can handle suffering, you don't have a theology. And so we had to navigate that moment. And I'll be honest with you, it knocked the wind out of my sail. I, I personally wish it had not happened. And when you're dealing with the loss of a loved one at that level, to this day, there's still ramifications. He's survived by his wife, who's in our church, and their four young children. And to this day, we still have to navigate that. And there are certain songs we sing that trigger a thought. And we as a congregation have to be there for those that were closest to him. And so we're still navigating that. But you know what? By God's grace and his kindness, we got back up again. We got back up again. And we said, you know what? What I said on January 1 still stands. This is going to be our greatest year ever. And then we came up to Noosa in March of last year, and, and my wife found lumps where there shouldn't be lumps. And then we had to deal with the whole cancer issue last year, only two months after what had happened with our youth pastor. 
And I've got to be honest with you, it knocked the wind out of our sails. I remember Kath walking, like that beautiful walk you have in Noosa Heads there, and telling me that she's got some lumps and she goes to the doctor and we're in tears. And Why is this happening? I don't know. But guess what? By God's grace, we got back up again. We got back up again. And then we said, okay, it still remains the same. January 1, those promises are still yes and amen. And then in April, our son Mitchell broke an arm, which doesn't seem like a big deal, but it still meant hospital visits. And the thing you may not know is that when he was younger, we prophesied over him that he'd never break an arm. And the reason we were so convinced he would never break an arm is because when he was younger, whenever he fell, he always landed on his head. (laughs) And I remember saying to my wife, at least he'll never break an arm. As we're holding him in hospital, getting stitches in his head. He's got lots of scars on his head. But we said, at least he never broke an arm. Well, 2016, that God-blessed year, he broke an arm. And that got in a plaster, and he got the right color plaster he wanted, so he was happy. And we, we moved on again. And we said, okay, this is going to be our year. And then in May of last year, I was struck down by a blood infection. And I found myself in hospital not for not one, not two, but three weeks. And I don't know if you're picking this up already, but I have ADD, I have ADHD, I have LMNOP, I have every letter of the alphabet. I just do. And to be in hospital for three weeks when you've got all those letters, uh, it's tough. It's tough. But the blood infection was so severe, and it was attacking my body so much that I felt like my body was shutting down. And the doctor confirmed, the reason you feel like your body is shutting down is because your body is shutting down. And I remember on a really bad day thinking, oh my goodness me. Our youth pastor died in January. I'm going to die in May. Who's going to want to be the pastor of Victory Church? Because everyone dies. That's what I'm thinking. But God is gracious. And I got through that period and I found my strength returning And they released me after three weeks. But they checked every part of my being. And in checking every part of my being, because this is what I learned about the blood when I was in hospital, the blood's really important. I knew it was important, but I didn't know it was that important. And they found that the blood infection was so severe that it attacked one of my heart valves. And so no sooner had I been released from hospital than I found myself having to go back into hospital a month later have open heart surgery. This is 2016. And I concluded this. Stuff happens. Stuff happens. And you have to know how to get back up again. See, as I mentioned before, Paul was writing that letter to the Philippians from prison And he says that he knew the secret in being content in every and any circumstance. He knew that being in Christ, we win. See, Christianity is not always about winning. Christianity is also about learning how to lose victoriously. See, when you can lose victoriously, you win on every occasion. See, when you're winning, you're winning. And when you're losing, you're still winning. And I found that no matter how down I got, it didn't change who I was in Christ. 
And, and so I got to the end of 2016. And I remember on the 31st of December, looking back over my year, remembering what I said on January the 1st. And I said, Lord, somewhere amidst all the tragedy, you answered my prayer. I asked you to do something in me. I asked this to be my best year, my greatest year, my biggest growth year. And by the time December 31st had come around, I thought, I'm a bigger, better, changed person. You really are working all things together for the good. If you're going to experience more than before, you better know how to endure. Don't be so quick to quit. Don't run, but stay your course. Three years ago, we got ourselves a little puppy. I managed to fight off the older daughter's request. I managed to fight off the son's request for a dog. But by the time the third one, we just got worn down. They call it favoritism. I call it being worn down. <laughs> worn down. If, if some of you older children in the room feel like the younger one is favored, they're not favored. Mum and dad are just tired, that's all. They've just, they've just given up. And, and so we find ourselves with this little puppy, and I said, okay, if we're going to have a puppy, at least get a manly dog, but no, our youngest daughter would have none of that. She wanted a little Maltese Shih Tzu, which really dents my pride every morning when we walk this little dog. Like, <laughs> I, feel like I find myself just apologizing every time. Sorry, but sorry. But as a good new dog owner, I thought I want to teach the dog to stay, because that's crucial. If the dog doesn't know how to stay, he's going to run away, he's going to do some crazy things, get run over. And so I was told that if you get some doggy chops and, and, and uh, stand about a foot away from the dog and tell it to sit and stay, and you reward it for every time it stays. And so that's exactly what I did. I said, stay. And, and the dog was good when I was a foot away, and I'd give him a doggy chop. And I'd go back a foot, and I said, now, now stay. Maybe some of you have done this. And the dog's like this. <laughs> I mean, I mean he's, he's staying, but only just. And so I think, oh, that's, that's kind of worthy of a doggy chop. So I give him a doggy chop. Then I get another foot away. Now I'm one meter, three feet away. And by this stage, the dog can't stand it. He's just like, he's off. <laughs> just, you know. And I find myself during this training process getting really frustrated getting frustrated with this little dog, and I felt God interrupt my frustrated moment. And I felt God say this, Tony, you're like that. And you're laughing, but then I felt God say, my church is like that. We're happy to go here, we're happy to go there, we're happy to do this, we're happy to do that. But go to the same church, week after week, and serve a local vision, and get involved in a roster, and go to connect groups, and give to a vision building fund campaign, I mean, come on, that's boring. It may seem boring, but that's the bedrock of society. That's the bedrock of society. Anything that is great is built over time on a great commitment. It takes time. And so, don't run. Don't be quick to quit. 
There will be new churches starting in this area, and it will seem exciting, and it will be, but it's got nothing to do with the future and the destiny of this church. If excitement was a goal, there's a lot of people that aren't Christians that are going to get it to heaven, because it's not about being excited, it's about building something great. Jesus said, I'll build my church, and in order to build his church, it's going to take endurance. Everyone say endurance. So let's be quick to hang around and not quick to quit. Winston Churchill was asked when he, to speak at his, uh, Harrow, his old school in 1941. And this is what he said. He said, never give in, never give in, never, 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 in nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. If we want to experience more than before, it's going to take endurance. Secondly, more than before, it's going to take energy. Everyone say energy. Energy. See, Peter's mother-in-law did not only get up, but it's what she did that fascinates me. She began to serve again. See, it's one thing to get up and to shy away. I've been married before. I'm not going to trust anyone anymore. I've tried relationships. I'm not going to try it anymore. I did serving, and I got burnt out. I trusted a pastor once. I'm not going to do that again. No, Peter's mother-in-law not only got up, but she began to do what she did before. And with a spring in her step, and a smile on her face, and a glint in her eye, and a plate in her hand, she said, would you like some? And she served. She served. To build a great church, it's going to take a people that not just get back up again, but are willing to serve. And what was the difference? I believe the difference was Jesus himself. It was the touch of Jesus that changed her life, and it's the touch of Jesus that can change our lives. It's the touch of Jesus that can give us the strength to do what we otherwise could not do. Again, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. What is the key? It's through him. Paul was a great apostle. Probably one of the greatest apostles outside of Jesus himself. But he never took the credit for himself. He didn't say, I can do all things because I'm so smart. He didn't say, I can do all things because I'm so wise. He said, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Because the reality is we don't always feel strong. We don't always feel ready. We don't always feel like doing what God has asked us to do. But when we remain in Christ, we have access to the supernatural power that's available to all who believe. God wants to turn our natural and add his super and make us supernatural in our response. This is Pentecost Sunday, and we see exactly that take place on Pentecost Sunday. There were these men that were locked away for fear of the Jews. And the power of the person of the Holy Spirit entered their lives. And they unlocked the doors. And they found that they had a new empowerment, a new boldness, and a new courage in order to do what they could not previously do. It wasn't that uh, long ago that Peter just given up and gone back to fishing. But this supernatural empowerment enables us to do what we otherwise could not do. There's an energy that can only come through being in Christ. 23 years of leading our church has not come because we're that patient. 
I'm actually not a patient person. As you get to know me, and I trust we will over the coming years, you realize I'm not a patient person, and yet I have this track record of patience. What is that? I'll tell you what that is. That's God at work in my life, because I'm not patient, but I have a track record of patience. That's what God wants to do to you. It's what He wants to do in you. It's what He wants to do for you. He wants to make you what you can't be in your own strength. That's what He wants to do. God wants to add His super to our natural. As a young man growing up, I loved cartoon superheroes, and probably my favorite superhero is Superman himself. I think Superman trumps everyone, personally. You ever do those things in your head, like, who would win to fight, Batman or Superman? Well, we didn't learn anything from that film. That was just a load of rubbish, that film. But anyway, <laughs> I think Superman trumps everyone. But what used to just capture my imagination when I was a young boy was this man, Clark Kent, with his glasses, his gray suit, and his tie, would go into a phone box, and there'd be a transformation that would take place. And he'd come out like Superman. He'd go in normal, come out, whoa, super normal, uh, supernatural, and have this superhuman strength. And I believe it's kind of like a metaphor or a picture of what church does for us. We might come in beaten, battered, and bruised, but we leave transformed, having experienced the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. And we leave as supermen, we leave as wonder women. And I believe that's what our devotion does. It's our time with God in the mornings. It changes our thinking. It changes our perspective. And even when God doesn't give you the answers you desire, even when God doesn't give you what you want, this supernatural presence of God, if nothing else, will change our perspective. If He doesn't change our circumstances, He will change our perspective. Paul pleaded with God three times to take this thorn from my flesh, to take this thorn from my flesh, to take this thorn from my flesh. Three times he pleaded, and seemingly God was silent. And then when God spoke, he said, my grace is sufficient. And Paul learned an invaluable lesson that day that we need to learn. And that is it's not the absence of the thorn that matters most. It's the presence of his grace. You can face anything when you have the presence of his grace. Last year was a crazy year for me. And to be honest, I still don't have a lot of answers. But I have something better. I have his grace. You see, in hospital, I almost died. But I didn't die. I almost died, but I didn't die. And because I'm still alive, it tells me something. That there's a job to be done. If you're not dead you're not done. That's what I learned. That if you're not dead, you're not done. And there's a job to do. And I remember as I came out of that moment, I said to the devil, I said, devil, you're going to wish you had it killed me because I'm going to so use this against you. And that's what I'm doing right now. And people are getting encouraged. I know you are. You're getting encouraged by what I endured. And so my suffering becomes your comfort. God's grace is sufficient for you. And he will change our perspective even if he doesn't change our situation. I mentioned my son a few times, but what you don't know about my son is that before he was born, they picked up on the scan that there was a problem with him. And we've discovered there's been a problem with him ever since. But anyway, <laughs> but so much so that they wanted to us to terminate. 
they found that there was a problem with his left hand, there was a problem with his umbilical cord, and they said, you'd be being wise and reasonable in terminating. And we didn't feel we could play that part of God, and we said no. They got mad with us. We held our line, and he was born, and what they picked up in the scan was true. He has no digits on his left hand. And I remember as a parent navigating that, and I knew as he grew, there would be a, come a day when he would ask me about that. I didn't know when it would happen. I was hoping it was when I was 100 years of age, but it was when he was about four and went to kindergarten, and he came back one day a little bit dismayed, and I said, hey, mate, what's the matter? And he said, Dad, why was I born with no fingers on my hands? And I remember thinking to myself, oh, this is that day. And this is the first thing that came out of my mouth. I don't know. Which is a lesson for every parent. If you don't know, don't make something up. I think sometimes we like to think we should have the answer. We, if you don't have the answer, don't make something up. So I said, I don't know. And as I said, I don't know, I felt God honoured my honesty. And he gave me this God drop. I said, but I also don't know why you were born with blonde hair. I also don't know why you've got piercing blue eyes. And I also don't know why you're incredibly handsome. I said, Mitch, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there's a lot of ugly kids out there. And you're not one of them. And his little head went, and he's walked off. Hi, ugly. How are you doing, ugly? And he's never asked me about his hand since. He still doesn't have fingers on his left hand. But his perspective was forever changed. And this same kid that the doctors wanted us to terminate, he's part of our youth ministry. He's part of our worship team. He leads songs. He writes songs. He plays guitar. God is good. And this is what I knew about him as a young boy. That this has happened, that the glory of God might be seen in his life. Can God heal him? Yes, to this day, absolutely. And that would be a miracle, and that would bring glory to God, absolutely. But I believe a greater miracle has happened in the way he's conducted himself. I believe these things happen sometimes to bring healing, and sometimes to ask to showcase how to handle tragedy. And that becomes a greater miracle. The way he's conducted himself speaks to people all of the time. So I don't know what you're going through. But let's not get angry with God or upset with God that he ha hasn't answered our prayers the way we wanted him to answer them. Because maybe, just maybe, he's wanting to use your situation and your circumstance to bring an even greater glory. Just a thought. I'm all bit out of time. But number three, can we have the keyboard? Zoe, where are you? Get a keyboard, that'd be fantastic. You're amazing, Zoe, just, just like that, up and down, down and up. More than before requires endurance, it requires energy, and to keep it real easy, another E, enthusiasm. Everyone say enthusiasm. 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 See, Peter's mother-in-law didn't only just get up, and she not only served, but the Bible says she did it at once. And at once speaks to me of a passion and a zeal. See, we don't want you just hanging around. We don't want you just coming with folded arms, looking at everyone thinking, you should just be happy I'm here. That's not, that's not the goal. If you're folding your arms, it's fine. It's just a, it's just okay. 
But Peter's mother-in-law got up, having been knocked down, served again. But she jumped straight back in. And it speaks to us of an enthusiasm. The Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. There are some people that have changed that to this. I was sad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Others have changed it to this. I was mad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. That often happens around the offering time. (laughs) But the psalmist in Psalm 122 says, I was glad. I was glad. I think Peter's mother-in-law was just so glad to be out of bed. It's the least she could do. There's a joy in her heart, smile on her face. We want people serving, but not just serving. Welcome to church. It should be a joy. It should be an enthusiasm. We had a tough year last year, and I'm sure many of you did too. But our greatest testimony is that we survived it with a smile on our face, a spring in our step. And even though we were on holiday in Noosa in 2017, I was asked to preach. I said, I'd love to. I'd love to. I'm so glad to be here with you. I consider it such a privilege and such an honor. You know, the word enthusiasm is simply made up of two little Greek words, N-C-O, which simply means to be in God. The Oxford Dictionary says of the word enthusiasm, it, it means to rave. I often get told that Tony's just raving on. Yeah, I'm excited about what I'm talking about. It means to go into raptures. And how about this? It means to go overboard. Enthusiastic people go overboard. That's why Peter walked on water, because he went overboard. You don't walk on water if you don't go overboard. So here's Peter being enthusiastic, being in God. I want to read an extract from John Wesley's diary by way of wrapping all this up. John Wesley was an incredible reformer back in the 1700s. He wrote some 233 books, preached over 50,000 sermons and raised 11,000 preachers in his time. And through his life and ministry, over one third of England was saved. Phenomenal. And in his diary, he writes this. Sunday, May 5th, I preached at St. Anne's and I was asked not to come back. That night I preached at St. John's and I just cannot go back there. May 17th, I preached at St. Judas and I'm not allowed to go there again. May 19th, I preached at St. Paul's and I just can't return. That night I preached on the street, but I was kicked off. May 26th, I preached in a field and the farmer set his bull on me. a bad day. June 2nd, I preached on the edge of town and I was kicked off the highway. Just think how John Wesley's feeling at this moment in time. Imagine if at that moment in time he just gave up and gave in. But then it says, but that night, on June 2nd, I preached in a field and over 10,000 came to Christ. Isn't that awesome? 
You see, I believe for this church, C3 Noosters, to experience more than before, it needs us all in. It needs us all in. It needs us enduring. It needs us being supernaturally energized by the Holy Spirit. And it needs us having an enthusiasm because without those things, this church won't be what God intended it to be because God's asked us to co-labor with Him. And here's the good news. If you're anything like me, you felt like giving up. That doesn't make you a bad person. That makes you a human being. Give yourself a break. I felt like that. I feel like that pretty much every other week, actually. Maybe if you're anything like me, you felt sapped of your energy. And you just don't have energy anymore. You're in good company. I felt like that many times. And maybe if you're anything like me, you've just felt like I just don't have the joy or the enthusiasm that I used to have. And again, that puts you in good company. But the good news is there's an invitation to come to Jesus. In Matthew 11, verse 28, in the message it says, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Then come to me and get away and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This invitation is for us to come to Him. If you have a broken heart because people have upset you, hurt you, and you're struggling to make ends meet, and your relationship with Jesus has become a strain, or maybe you've never even committed your life to Christ, take part. My heart was quite literally broken by a blood infection. And I couldn't fix my heart. I needed to place my hands and my body and my heart into the hands of one who was more skillful than I. And I'm grateful for that surgeon. And because of his skill and because of his ability to do what I couldn't do, he healed my heart. That's a metaphor of what Jesus wants to do for you in healing our hearts. You can't live in this world without getting hurt. You can't live in this world without getting hurt, heart broken. That's why Jesus came. Because he loves you. He cares for you. And he wants to mend our broken hearts. Maybe today there are some here who have never accepted Christ into their life. Or maybe like the prodigal son, you've walked away and you find yourself at a distance in your relationship with him. As every eye is closed in this place, I've counted a privilege and honor just to pray with you and to pray for you. You're not saying yes to me. You're not saying yes to this church. You're just saying yes to the one who can help you and heal you.
take away that pain that we all feel from time to time that knocks the wind out of our sails. You see, for every relationship to work, it takes two. And essentially, Christianity, first and foremost, is a relationship. And for that relationship to work, we have to respond to him. When I was in grade four, I loved a young lady. I liked a young lady by the name of Meredith. Got my opportunity to sit next to her in grade four for one term. I thought, I'm going to make my move and let her know how much I love her. And whatever I had was hers. I gave her my ruler. I gave her my pencils. I gave her my paper. And you know what? That whole term, she never returned that affection for me. She never returned the paper, the ruler, or the pencils either. She didn't return anything. And so there was no relationship. Jesus loves you, but it doesn't mean that you'll live in the blessing of that love if we don't first invite him into our life and respond to him. If you've never accepted Christ, or you find yourself at a distance relationally with him, I'd love to pray with you this morning. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Say yes to Jesus. We're saying yes to him. We're saying yes to the one who's able to make all grace abound. Is there anyone in this place this morning? We all stand just for a moment. I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to hand back to Pastor Christian. If we do something, just raise our hands to heaven. We do that as a sign of openness, surrender, vulnerability. Father, thank you for what you're doing in this precious church. I pray the good work you've begun will be carried out to completion. And I pray that you take the foolishness of my words today and use these words to strengthen and encourage every precious person in this place today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.